Hallmark has got one movie that they just regurgitate over and over again with different characters, all right? But, but there's probably a little more than 100 that are actually sort of classic Christmas movies because, I mean, probably none of you watched Santa Conquers Mars. Yeah, that didn't make it. Or Grumpy Cat's Worst Christmas Ever, you might have missed. But there, there are a lot that are really good. Home Alone, I was, I was kind of amazed when I started looking at some of the information. It was made in 1990, right? That's 31 years ago. I was 40 years old. Don't look at me like that. I was one time 40 years old. 1990 it was made, and a lot of you will be familiar with it. And if you aren't, you've got to treat yourself. And you've you got to take a, really take a look at it. You're, most of you know the storyline. Eight-year-old Kevin gets left home. His immediate family, wider family, um, they are all going to go to Paris and have Christmas in Paris. And through a configuration of events, they're rushing to get to the airport and they get on the plane and Kevin didn't make the plane and Kevin is home alone. And you know the deal, sort of he's there and these... Uh, Robbers who are around the neighborhood are trying to get into the house, and he comes up with all kinds of antics to uh, stop them getting into the house and robbing the house. And, and, and there's a whole lot of really good stuff and funny stuff that's happening. But in getting ready for today, you know, part of my research, of course, I had to watch the movie. Sometimes being a preacher is tough, but you've got to do the tough part of it, right? So I had to do the movie to remind myself of it, and there were some bits of it that, honestly, I had forgotten and needed to be reminded of. But one thing I didn't forget was really how the whole thing starts, and the whole thing starts with Kevin at odds with all of his family and his mother sending him to the attic that night. Here's the clip to remind you of it. People in this house, you're the only one who has to make trouble. I'm the only one getting dumped up. You're the only one acting up. Now, get upstairs. I am upstairs, dummy. The third floor? Go. It's scary up there. Don't be silly. Fuller will be up in a little while. I don't want a super Fuller. You know about him. He wets the bed. He'll pee all over me. I know it. Fine. We'll put him somewhere else. I'm sorry. It's too late. Get upstairs. Everyone in this family hates me. Then maybe you should ask Santa for a new family. I don't want a new family. I don't want any family. Families suck. Just stay up there. I don't want to see you again for the rest of the night. I don't want to see you again for the rest of my whole life. And I don't want to see anybody else either. I hope you don't mean that. You'd feel pretty sad if you woke up tomorrow morning and you didn't have a family. No, I wouldn't. Then say it again. Maybe it'll happen. I hope I never see any jerks again. Yeah, there's how it starts, really. The, the real action starts. I hope I never see you jerks again. Now, every single person in this place who is a parent has had at least one of those interactions with one of their children, right? Right? You, you, you've had that, and, and kind of we, we, know, we, we know what it's like. Now, now, what that reminds me of is this. That reminds me of this very simple truth, and that is this. Rebellion is in the heart of mankind. 
there's something in every one of us that says, I want to do things my way. I want to make my own choices. I don't want to be responsible to anybody else. I just want to be alone. Now, now the Bible actually kind of uh, puts it really clearly. It says this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. It says, young people are prone to foolishness and fads. The cure comes through tough-minded discipline. See, it's not that children are stupid, but they haven't learned much yet. Right? I mean, that's, that's honestly it. And they spend the first little bit of their lives, um, you know, being the center of the world. Right? They are the center of attraction when they're born and as a baby and everything is done. They only have to whimper and they get picked up. They decide when they want to be fed. And, and, and it's like, you know, they're the king of the universe. And, and then as they grow a little bit more, there's the need to channel them and shape them and mold them and guide them. And that becomes difficult. But the, bo the bottom line is, you know, th there's foolishness in kids' hearts. I saw a picture a, a couple of weeks ago of my home city. Uh, it was a photograph from the winter of 1962. And the city of Exeter in, in, in England, uh, there was a river that ran through a part of the city very near to our house. And there was a huge park there too. And we were, would often, you know, we spent a lot of our time as kids in the park. And I was always told, but don't go near the river. Anyway, so. We love playing in the park, but this winter, the river was frozen. And it was frozen for weeks, which is very unusual because the climate's pretty mild, that part of the country. And, and, you know, my mother told me a story. You know how parents are sometimes? Yeah, but that's nothing. When I was young, right? Yeah, you know the deal, right? Because I do it myself now. Yeah, so my, so my mother's like, yeah, when, we, when I was young, they roasted an ox on the river one winter. You don't tell that to an 11-year-old because the next morning I got together with some of my friends. We couldn't find an ox. So I said, let's build a fire in the middle of the river. Yeah, foolishness is entrenched in the hearts of children. So we did. We collected all the kinds of wood and stuff we could get, and, 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 we, and we'd set light to it. And here we are, and we're hanging out in the middle of this wide river on this frozen ice. A couple of days later, a kid from our school was walking on the ice, and it cracked. And he fell in, and the current pulled him away, and he died. Yeah. How stupid could we be? Rebellion, foolishness, I want to do my own thing. I want to go my own way. But the fact is this, you know, if kids start life needing to learn a lot of good things, the, the, the truth is this, rebellion is genetic. Just landed one on you parents there, right? But I'm not actually talking about you. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about genetic, genetic, going back, 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 back to the beginning. In the book of Genesis, where God puts Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden, says, all this is yours. You can enjoy the fruit off any of these trees. Everything that's here is here for you. Only one rule. Only one rule. Don't eat from that tree. One rule. One tree. And you know how that story went. So the serpent talks to the woman. Genesis 3, verse 4. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. 
God knows the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging all the way from good to evil. And, and what happened there from the beginning of creation was this. Okay, mankind's story is not that all our parents went off to Europe and left us. Our story is this, that we decided that we wanted to be the masters of our own destiny. We wanted to be the decision makers in our own lives, and we wanted to be the people who called the shots. And so the story of mankind universally is that at some stage we began to turn our backs on God, on His guidance, and determine to live our life on our terms. And here's how the Bible phrases that, Isaiah 53 and verse 6. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And here's the thing. Rebellion against God never ends well. Hey, Kevin found being home without a family wasn't such a cool thing after all, right? But when we say to God, leave us alone, leave us alone, I want to do my own thing, I want to live my own life, it never ends well. Proverbs 29, 18, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. When people don't accept divine guidance, they run wild. I don't need God to guide me. I'm okay. I'm not a bad person. I live a good life. There, there's a verse in the book of Psalms, Psalm 53 and verse 1, and, and it starts like this. It says, only a fool would say to himself, there is no God. I read this in a translation years ago. Honestly, I'm not making this up. I did read it, but I can't find it. And, and I, I read this, I read it put this way. The fool says to himself, no God for me. No God for me. And that's really the, the, the weight of this particular statement. Because See, the, the thing is this, people who say they don't believe in the God of the Bible will say, well, I believe God's in nature, or I believe God's here or there, or God's this or God's that. They actually believe in a God. But, but, but what this verse in Psalm 53 is saying, only a fool will say to himself, I don't need any God. No God for me. Why does he say it? Because of his wicked heart his dark and evil deeds, his life is corroded with sin. He wants to do his thing. She wants to go her own way. So the bottom line is, no God for me. Going their own way, doing their own thing. A lot of people who are connected to church early in life who come to a stage where they say, I'm good, I'm good, no God for me. I don't need it. I'm okay. And, and there, you know, there, there are a lot of people who get lost, you know, to, to church or when they hit around college kind of age. Off we go, you know, do our own thing. I'm all right. I don't need God. And I will say this. Um, 
I'm going to say it anyway. Parents, if you don't make church a priority for your children when they're under your care, they won't bother about it much at all when they make their own choices. Really. Some of you might look at kind of all the stuff we did this morning, we did the Christmas. Was it, it's been a good morning so far, right? I'll try not to screw it up. It's been a great morning. It really has. It really has. And, and you know, to, see, to do the tree lighting and, and, you know, just the excitement and the great spirit in the place and uh, really good breakfast. And, uh, and, and, you know, to see the kids. I was just standing back a few times watching the kids with Santa. Absolutely fantastic. And the kids' area, they've gone, got all done up like, what is it, Whoville, where the Gringe lives? And that's all decorated up. They've worked on that this week, done a fantastic job over there. You know the reason we do that is because kids have such a short period in their lives where we can help you to establish a lasting foundation that we kind of go all out with looking after your kids. And I want to encourage you, if church on Sunday is hit and miss for your children, what they are learning is church is the second priority when there's nothing else that takes priority over it. And there's a danger they're going to wander off. Help us to help you be here. Bring your kids here. Make sure they go. I've heard some great stories, mind you, where kids are bringing their parents here some Sundays. It's like parents say, we may not go today. And the kids are saying, no, but I want to go. And it's like, you know, that speaks volumes to the folks we have working with your children and the programs that we've got to offer. That really does. Here's the thing, though. You, you know, because all of us, our life at some point consisted of us, you know, off doing our thing, going our way with God at some distance or not in the picture at all. And, and you know what? Living God-free can be carefree for a while. There, there's a part in the movie where Kevin's sitting down with a huge bowl of ice cream, and he's saying, guys, I'm eating junk and watching rubbish. It's like, this is pretty cool. Look what I'm doing because you creeps aren't here. And life can seem pretty good without God for a while. But when the storms start to blow, things begin to get different. Do you, do you remember there was a story in the Bible when Jesus was going to go across the Sea of Galilee one night uh, with his disciples? So he got into the boat with them, and he went to the back of the boat, and he, he fell asleep. Do you, do you remember the, the gist of this, right? So, so here's the thing. They, di they didn't think anything of it when Jesus got in the boat and went through the back to sleep because, number one, he'd been busy all day preaching to people and doing other kinds of stuff. They knew he was tired. And second thing is, What's he going to do when it comes to sailing a boat? They're the fishermen. He's Jesus. He does his stuff. We do our stuff. So they didn't think anything about it. So they let him go. And Jesus is sound asleep until a storm comes up that has these seasoned fishermen terrified for their lives. And then they're saying, Jesus, what's the matter with you? Wake up and help us. We're going to die. When the storm came, they realized they needed Jesus. 
And you know, you can live with kind of God at a distance for a period of time and think, I'm doing okay, thanks, everything's good. But when the storm comes along, who do you need? Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of the unfaithful is hard. It's hard to live without a real living faith. It's hard. And it's hard to live resisting the voice of God, God nudging you, God prodding you. And I just want to ask you today, if you're in a position where life's hard, I want to ask you, where's Jesus in your life? If you've been going along merrily without Him, I need to ask Him to come closer. If you've been living days, weeks, months now just with a nagging kind of thoughts now and again and, 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 and just kind of things coming into your mind that, you know, you need God or maybe you should try this, try that, get back to some of your biblical roots or church roots, how long are you going to keep fighting that? Home alone may sound good. Living by myself for me and calling the shots quite attractive until the winds start to blow, the storms arise. Rebellion is in the heart of mankind. That's a route we've all been down, we all go down. But, but here's the second thing, and this is so important to grasp. Here's Kevin at home, right? So he's doing all this stuff at home. As far as he's concerned, he thinks his family have disappeared. You know, his mother said, say it twice and it might happen. So he said it twice. He wakes up in the morning. And it's like, I made my family disappear. That's all he knows. What he doesn't know is that several thousand miles away, there is a frantic mother who is desperate to get back to her son. And what so many people do not know and Christmas reminds us of is there is a loving God who is desperate to get back to us and to reach out to us and to embrace us and to draw us to himself. That's the wonder of Christmas. You might know it. You might even be aware of it. But there's a God who's looking for you and will get to you any way he possibly can. Let's just check out this clip from the movie. Trying to get home to my eight-year-old son. And now that I'm this close, you're telling me it's hopeless. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no way. This is Christmas, the season of perpetual hope. Ma'am, if... And I don't care if I have to get out on your runway and hitchhike. If it costs me everything I own, if I have to sell my soul to the devil himself, I am going to get home to my son. There's a mother. I don't care if I have to sell my soul to the devil himself. I'm going to get home to my son. And in the story of our lives, and in the story of Christmas, there is a father in heaven who looks at wandering children and says, I don't care what price I've got to pay, but I want them back. I want them back. And if you are here or watching us online this Sunday morning, and you're somebody who's wandered away to do your own thing, 
I want to tell you, God desperately wants to get to you, and He wants you back. He wants you back. Kevin was totally unaware that his mother was looking for him or where she was and that she was desperate to get back. Kind of reminds me, and I know it's a kind of reverse look at it because I'm not talking about us being left home alone. I'm talking about us wandering away. But in Luke chapter 15 and verse 4, Jesus says this. He says, suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? If there was one sheep that was lost, wouldn't you go looking for it? And he tells him that story as a picture of, of, of his, why he's there and of what his mission is. And, and you, you know, at the heart of Christmas, the heart of the gospel is embraced in a verse of the Bible that many of us know very, very well. John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. I don't care what I've got to do. I don't care what the price is I've got to pay, says the Father. So God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Christmas is the celebration of God's love. I don't care what it costs. And you and I were so valuable to God that He sent Jesus to be our Savior. Reconciliation is in the heart of God. God had a plan before the world began. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's it going to take? What's it going to take to bring people into relationship with God? What's it going to take to, for people who are sinful, who've, who, who, who've, who've done the wrong thing, to be able to find forgiveness and to be able to find eternal life? What's it going to take? It's going to take someone who is sinless to take their punishment and to die in their place. That's Jesus. And if this first Sunday in December, God is trying to get to you. Maybe through thoughts of God that are in your mind frequently. Maybe it's just, you know, the interest you had to be here or to be watching us here this Sunday morning. Maybe through the difficulties you're experiencing right now, you begin to wonder if God would help you or could help you. Never underestimate the greatness of God's love and how much He wants you. Later on in Luke 15, after the story about the shepherd looking for the lost sheep, Jesus tells the really well-known story, what we call the prodigal son, of, of the boy who goes to his father uh, young man, whatever, goes to his father and says, Dad, you know, when you die, I'm going to get plenty of stuff. But you know what? I don't want to wait till you die because I'll be too old to enjoy it. So why don't you just give me the stuff now? 
And, and his father did. So his son gave him his inheritance there and then. And some of you know how this worked out. So what happened then was the Bible said he went far away from home because if you're going to do something you shouldn't do, you don't do it on your own doorstep, right? So he went far away from home. And, and here's what it says in, in, in Luke 15 and verse 20. No, that, it doesn't say that at all. I, I, all right, so what he did is basically he went, he went to some place and he lived a wild life and spent all the money. And then when he had nothing left, he's sitting down and thinking, what do I do? And he thought, my father's got servants who are better off than I am now. I wonder if he'd let me be a servant. So here's Luke 15, 20. Then he got right up and went home to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, let me just, let me just take that statement there and point out something that's really straightforward, and I don't want to insult your intelligence. But you know what that tells me? His father was looking for him, right? When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. So his father was out looking for him. And, and who knows how long he'd been doing that? Who knows how many days he'd been doing that? Who, who knows how many hour after hour after hour he spent just looking and hoping and wishing that his son would come back. And then here's what it says. And his father saw him and his heart pounding, he ran out. The old man did it. The old man ran out and he embraced him and he kissed him. He was so thrilled to have his son back. That was the one thing that he wanted. That was the one thing that he was desperate for. And you know what? Beyond all the beautiful stuff we've got going on around here, because it's Christmas time, there is this eternal, incredible message that there is a Father in heaven who is looking and longing for every single rebel because he wants you back home. Reconciliation is in the heart of God. Somebody said to me a while ago, you use a lot of the Bible when you're preaching, don't you? <laughs> you know what? I, a few years ago, I'd have been sharper with a reply, but maybe it's a good job I wasn't. You know what? But it's like, what do you want me to talk about? Right? What do you want me to talk about? That's what we do. We look at what God says about things. We remember God's Word. There is one Bible verse that you will hear more than any other in this church. And that isn't because I don't know anymore. I know quite a lot. But it's because this verse is central to everything we do. It's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's it. It's the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of our church. It's what we're about. It's why we're here. We, want, we are partnering with Jesus in seeking and saving the lost. So as we think about the baby born into the manger in Bethlehem that day, as we think about Jesus coming into this world, let's never forget why he came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That means if you're among the lost this morning, He came for you. He came for you. He wants you. The Son of Man came to seek 
and to save the lost. Reconciliation is in the heart of God. And then a third truth I want to bring from this story, while rebellion is in the heart of mankind and reconciliation is in the heart of God, belonging is the heart of Christmas. Let's check out this clip. Can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, if you make it quick, Santa's got a little get-together he's late for. Okay. I know you're not the real Santa Claus. What makes you say that? Just out of curiosity. I'm old enough to know how it works. All right. But I also know that you work for him. I'd like you to give him a message. Shoot. I'm Kevin McAllister, 671 Lincoln Boulevard. Do you need the phone number? Ah, that's right. Okay, this is extremely important. Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. No toys, nothing but Peter, Kate, Buzz, Megan, Linny, and Jeff, and my aunt and my cousins. And if he has time, my Uncle Frank. Okay? Okay. See what I can do. Thanks. Wait, hold on a second. My elf took the last of the candy canes home to her boyfriend. That's okay. No, 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 don't be silly. Everybody sees Santa's got to get something. Here, pull out your little paw there. There you go. Don't spoil your dinner. I won't. Thanks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Three Tic Tacs from Santa. <laughs> I just want my family back. Christmas is about belonging to the biggest family, the most significant family, the family of God. Mother Teresa once said, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the worst kind of poverty. I hope you've been encouraged this morning by the truth that every one of us really is wanted, wanted by God, wanted by the Father. God wants us with Him. That's why, that's why uh, when the angel appeared to Joseph and said that, you know, it was okay to marry Mary because you know, the baby she was having was, was divinely conceived. And here's, here's what the angel said in Matthew 1, 23. Watch for this. A virgin will get pregnant and bear a son. They will call him Emmanuel, Hebrew for God is with us. God is with us. Emmanuel. Christmas is about God being with us and us being with God, about God making a way for us. God wants us to be with him in this life and in the life to come. God wants to partner with us through our journey on earth, and God wants us present with Him when we arrive in heaven. And God has already made His move. He sent Jesus so we could be reconciled. When I, when I watched the movie again, um, I, had, I had really totally forgot. The bit of the movie I, I remember or is, is kind of the different ways that He... Um, dealt with the robbers who would, who would break into the house. In fact, I'd totally forgotten until I, I saw the two sweatshirts on the front row this morning. I totally forgot the line, Merry Christmas, you filthy, what is it, you filthy what? animal. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. I didn't realize that was in there. That's a great message for a pastor on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Only at Genesis. <laughs> I love it. If I'd seen that first, I'd be wearing it. So. <laughs> No, I wouldn't. Okay, so, uh, 
No, I'd forgotten. I'd totally forgotten the bit. Some of you remember the, remember the bit with the old man from the neighborhood who used to put salt down on, on the icy sidewalks and stuff, and they all had some idea about what his backstory was. You remember that bit? And how Kevin meets up with him and hears his actual story that, that he was widowed and uh, was, but was separated from his son because they'd had a major best bust up and like he had no connection with his son and his only granddaughter. Do you remember that? And, and Kevin says, well, why don't you call him? And he said, no, I couldn't because he wouldn't pick up the phone or he wouldn't want to talk to me. And how he encourages the old man. And remember towards the end, right, towards the end of the movie, you see the old man and his son and his daughter reconcile because the old man made the call. He made the call. It's a lie from the devil that says God won't accept you. It's a lie from the devil that says God won't pick up. It's a lie from the devil that says you've gone too far. It's a lie from the devil who says, you know what, you can't go back to God again. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 7. Look at this. Whoever comes to me, I will never. All right, that's great. That's great. Six of you can read. Some of you others try. It's not a very big word. Not a very big word. Whoever comes to me, I will never, never drive away. Wherever you've been, Wherever you're at now, however long it's been, here's the whole deal. Christmas is about God desperate to get back to us because we wandered off and wanted to do our own thing. And we wanted to go our own way. Luke 2, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We celebrate the Savior born to us, to you. It's personal. It's totally personal. Jesus, the Savior, is wonderful. Jesus, my Savior, is what it needs to be. That's what it needs to be. And if you're here today or watching us online today, and you've been separated from God, doing your own thing, home alone, while God's looking for you all the time, today's a great day, the start of this Christmas season, to say, God, I'm coming back. There was an old song we sang years ago. It goes something like this. If you know this one, you're really old. Here's how it goes. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Now I'm coming home. Coming home. Coming home. Never more to roam. Open wide your arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. We put a lot of effort into all the different parts of today, but it was all leading to this. My prayer for today is that there will be people participating in this service who will come home today. Come home. Come home. Say, God, I, I don't want to live distant from you anymore. Lord, I'm coming home. The Father is waiting. The Father's looking. 
the next move is yours. Let's pray together.